question. How many countries are there in Africa and how long would it take to visit them all? Keep listening. The World Nomads podcast bonus episode. Hear amazing nomads sharing their knowledge, stories and experience of world travel. Thanks for choosing this episode of the World Nomads podcast. Kim and Phil with you and our Amazing Nomads episode featuring Francis Tappan, who has visited every country in Africa among other efforts. Significant efforts, actually, and was recommended to us by Ellen, who listens to the podcast. Our amazing nomads are people who exhibit discovery, connection, transformation, fear, and love through travel. And Francis ticks all of those off. Uh, he's walked across America four times, <laughs> hiked the Appalachian Trail, which is no mean feat on its own, and the Pacific Crest Trail, and in 2007 became the first person known to do a round trip of the Continental Divide Trail. He continually pushes the boundaries, Phil, and we'll share why in this episode. And he also fell in love and married when he was in Africa a couple of years ago. It wasn't one of his goals, though. What was on his list, Kim? To visit every country in Africa, to film it and make a doco and TV show about it, write a book about Africa's unseen sides and get a tan. Yes. <laughs> Did you achieve them all? very important. <laughs> well, you look like a tan chap anyway. It wouldn't have taken yes, a lot. yes. Yes, I absolutely have worked on that tan and I've got it and I'm very proud of it. Actually, there's one other thing is that I did want to attempt to climb the tallest mountain of all 54 African countries. And I managed to do it 50 of the 54 countries. Four of them, I was not able to get to the tallest mountain. So, okay, so which ones could you not? I could not get to uh, two of them or are regarding Eritrea. So Eritrea's own mountain and Djibouti's mountain, which the tallest mountain of Djibouti is called Musa Ali and it the peak actually is shared by three countries. So if you stand on the top of Musa Ali, you are in Ethiopia, Eritrea, and Djibouti all at once. And, that, and, so, and that's not going to get you into trouble. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and Eritrea doesn't like either of those countries. Um, and it's kind of like the North Korea of Africa. And so I was now things have kind of mellowed out in 2019 or so. Um, but it's when I was there in 2017, it was, it was not good. So that was one of them. The other one was um, Sudan. Tallest mountain is right in the middle of Darfur. I went to West Darfur, Central Darfur, uh, East West, all over Darfur. And I was escorted at one point. Guess how many people were escorting me? Twelve. More. <gasps> Oh, I love a game of higher or lower. Thirty. <laughs> Fifty. No. 50, mil- Fifty military men for my wife and I. That's it. And they were covering. We had rocket launchers, everything. And we were just going across. And, and you know, the thing about this, you don't know is it, is it overkill or not, right? Yeah. Because until somebody attacks you, you, you think it's all everything is fine. It's a funny sort of reverse logic. The more heavily armed people you have around you, the less safe you feel. <laughs> Right. Right. Hang on. Why do we need rocket launchers? <laughs> exactly right. So the other two countries were also military problems. Uh, one of them is Tunisia. And then the last country um, I'm blanking out on right now. I guess that's right there. There, I named them all yep. four. Okay. Eritrea, yeah. Djibouti, uh, Sudan, and Tunisia. Tell you what, your wife must love you because she did... She didn't do the whole trip with you. You actually met her in Cameroon. Is that correct? And then she sort of finished the whole uh, leg off with you. 
Yeah, she did about 31 countries with me out of the 54. Yes, she was quite a trooper and she actually walked across Madagascar. You met her in Cameroon, right? Did you have a traditional wedding? Take us through that. She was an orphan at the age of 14. So her mom uh, uh, died at 14. Her father died when she was nine. And so she didn't have strong family ties, which is super unusual in Africa. And the, as you alluded to, the marriage ceremony is a big deal in Africa. Because she was an orphan and because she didn't have strong family ties, she was unusual in that respect. And so we didn't even get married in Cameroon. We got married by Victoria Falls in Zambia. As you do. Yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> Actually, we wanted to get married in South Africa. But the South African embassy uh, said no to her. So then we said, okay, how about Lesotho? But she couldn't get into Lesotho without getting a transit visa through South Africa. So that didn't work. So then we tried Zimbabwe and that didn't, they didn't give us the visa either. So in the end, she, we did Zambia and she actually took a bus trying to go all the way to South Africa. And she was literally a few meters, just like three or four meters from entering into South Africa when she was apprehended. And then she was thrown into jail in um, Zimbabwe for three weeks. Why wouldn't they give her visas? Is Cameroon sort of a, a country that doesn't have good diplomatic relations? Phil, you're, you're touching on a very interesting and depressing point, which is that Africans discriminate against other Africans. I'll give you one example, uh, two examples maybe. Uh, Ethiopia, Rejoice was almost crying. I got a two-year visa as an American citizen, instantly to get into Ethiopia. No questions asked. She had to beg, borrow, and steal, basically, to get into Ethiopia. I had to beg and beg and beg on her behalf, and, you know, showing them my marriage license and everything like that. Second example, and this is the more horrific one, if you want to hear a bad story. We're sitting in Nairobi, Kenya. We're going to the, the embassy for Tanzania. Yeah. And she is spending time at the desk talking about and she's getting peppered with questions why are you going and i'm sitting down just a couple of meters away from her but i'm just not involved i'm just you handle it you do the application i just sat back and in the end i was like so bored i was like you know what's taking so long so i just stand up and i say hey uh how are the things going and then the man who had been peppering her questions asking her why are you going what's this show proof of this that and the other he said who's this white guy basically and i was like oh she said that's my husband Okay, great. Come get your visa on Tuesday. Really? So is this showcased in, in your in your documentary? Is this the unseen Africa? Is this what you're talking about? This and many other issues, yeah. You did this by foot, didn't you? No, I did not do it all by foot. Right. Um, I climbed the tallest mountains and I did walk across Madagascar. I did walk across half of Morocco through the Atlas Mountains. I did all the Atlas Mountain range. And I did... Uh, the Drakensberg Traverse in South Africa, that's about 300, 400 kilometers, I think, and if I remember correctly. And so I did do these long treks here and there, but Africa is a very big place. It is, uh, you can fit Western Europe just in Algeria. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And also there's a lot of parts of Africa that are relatively flat and I like mountains. And so I wouldn't want to walk across things. But anyway, I did, I, I, so I had a car most of the time. And I picked up, guess how many hitchhikers? Oh, yeah, here we go, another guess. Over over the entire 54 countries? 54 countries. I I didn't always have a car because some of them are island nations. I think there's seven island nations, so I didn't have a car in those island nations. I reckon you'd do at least one per country, right? So I'm going to say 54. I thought two. I was going to go 108. Okay. 3,000. Oh! 
And what, why, who were the people that were hitchhiking? What, what stories Everyday were you getting? Africans. Yeah. Everyday Africans. You know, I just, uh, it, look, in many places, especially where I was trying to go to, there's just no public transportation or very infrequent. And there's a lot of Africans carrying heavy objects on their heads, usually either water, food, uh, merchandise, uh, peanuts, you know, whatever it is that they're cultivating. And I just felt bad for them. I was just like, God, you know, you're going to be going for kilometers with this heavy thing on your head. So I would just stop and say, hey, do you need to ride? Like, yeah, great. He, and my favorite story was in Sierra Leone. I, I had there was four guys and they all had machetes, and I actually invited them in. You must have been an, an insurance nightmare, Phil. What is this? <laughs> I, I, yeah, it took me a while to get. Um, I, I, I tried to get kidnapping and ransom insurance, and yeah. everybody was turning me down. I finally found some idiot. I mean, some uh, nice person <laughs> to <laughs> give me uh, kidnapping and ransom insurance. You know, because then they would ask me, where are you going? And I was like listing off the country, South, South Sudan, Somalia, <laughs> yeah. Libya. Hang on a minute, though. This so-called idiot, have you made a claim on the insurance? I had never tried because, of course, I'd never been kidnapped or arrested. Well, there you so go. He's no idiot. Yeah. He's got your money. <laughs> yes. Exactly. He's doing quite well, yes. What, did the, what were the guys doing with the machetes? I'm I'm sensing yeah. that they're, they're just farming. Exactly right. And that's right. And that's the thing is that you and I look at machetes as a weapon, but they just see it as a um, agricultural tool. It's a bit like the men with the rocket launchers. If you're going to be travelling around, you want the blokes with the machetes in your car. Well, <laughs> on your side. <laughs> on your side. Just, yes, you're absolutely right. And no, but but Phil, what you're saying is so profound there because so many in- instances uh, I benefited from having hitchhikers in my car. So one of the key benefits of having hitchhikers is that you are instantly integrated with the locals and therefore if you play the odds that most people are not thieves, therefore, if you invite five people in your car, most likely at least four of them are honest people. And so the thief is not going to pull out a machete and try to rob you when he's got four other people who are going to jump on him if he tries to rob you. So I like safety in numbers. Um, and I like the fact that the police officers would feel like I was helping out the community. And that was my favorite thing. I would often pick up police and military people because they would need to go from one station to another station and they would hitch a ride with me. And then that was the best because then all of a sudden I wouldn't have to pay any bribes anywhere along the way. (laughs) And uh, it was just great. Traffic moving out of your way. Beautiful. Well, I mean, everybody's got their level of comfort zone, right? And so I think that whatever that, you know, for some people, it's just going to a neighboring you know, some neighborhood that's nearby them that they feel uncomfortable already. For other people, it's just going to France uh, to speak, you know, a language where they're surrounded by people who don't speak their their language. Um, But for other people, they need more. But whatever your limit is, I just encourage people to just stretch it, push it, and get, because that's usually when the best stories happen. That's the best memories, the travel memories. And inevitably, you will survive and nothing terrible happens. And you will then want to then push it a little bit further and each time. And and it's just, it's, that's what I think makes travel fun because I think nowadays in the 21st century, it's much harder to find some things that are exotic than it did in previous centuries. Yeah. Do you agree? Oh, totally. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, I remember when, because my mom is from Chile, my father's French and going to 
France, we would see all sorts of things that you could not find in America. And and then going to Chile was even more. The Chileans, when they came to Disneyland or came to America, it was just like their eyes would just go crazy. But now you go to Chile and Santiago, forget it. It just looks like more or less like any town in the United States, any city in the United States. They have all the same stuff, even the Starbucks, everything. So so that's why I think people need to travel beyond their comfort zone. You've been fortunate enough to win a couple of awards. awards. In fact, you were inducted into the California Outdoor Hall of Fame this year. But yeah. you don't think it was the glories of backpacking that uh, got you that honour. What did you think it was? I, it's a combination. It's kind of like a lifetime achievement award kind of thing. So they, they look at your whole resume. So they consider the fact that I had walked across America four times, that I had walked across Spain twice, that I had walked across Madagascar, and I also climbed the tallest mountain of these African countries. And they look at that kind of outdoor thing. And they're looking for people who are kind of inspired people to get outside, and Californians in this case. And I was just happened to be born in California by accident. So that was the, the award was given for that reason. But you also said that you backpack for 45 days without a shower, which you think was an impressive point. <laughs> I do think it's impressive. And that's why I think you decided to make this a call-in show and not to do this face-to-face. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything left for you to achieve? We do often ask people that have What's been next? out of their comfort zone, pushed themselves, what is next? Well, uh, the West and Central Asia is next. And so that's my uh, big challenge. So that includes, starts in Pakistan, probably Afghanistan, and then all the stans, and then going into the Middle East and seeing Iran, Iraq, and Syria, and, and uh, Saudi Arabia, and then finishing after I've got all these Arabic countries, then trying to enter into Israel. <laughs> and she laughs. You love a good custom space challenge, don't you? But I am blessed. I'm blessed because I, because my mom's from from Chile. My father's French. I actually have three passports, and yep. so I've played this game many times where I get the stamps that I'm supposed to get on certain passports, and I don't show those, and I get in with a different passport. So I will save my U.S. passport for Israel. And then I will travel on my Chilean passport as much as I can through those um, Middle Eastern countries. And that one works pretty well there. It's, um, you know, it's one of those powerful passports, the Chilean. Not at all. But it's just that in the case that I were to get kidnapped or, you know, uh, there's some anti, certainly U.S. haters, but even French, people who don't like the French because yeah. they are the EU. So so it's, it's just a benign, it's a benign passport. It's a it's it's a non-confrontational passport, non-threatening passport. So, mm. but uh, but the downside is that there's no embassies. I don't think in many of these countries for the Chilean embassies. So, in the end, and of course, I would be carrying somewhere on my body. So, in theory, somebody who kidnaps me or whatever yep. would be able to find out that I'm actually also a U.S. citizen. So, yep. and, and, you, uh, and the phone- none of those guys are listening to this. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And, of course, the idiot that sold you the insurance would be worried about that too. (laughs) And, Francis, when you say US haters, you traded on being, um, you know, from the United States when you're in Kenya pulling out the Barack Obama connection. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, United States citizens are well-loved throughout Africa. I mean, I don't 
except for maybe North Africa. That's where there's some dislike. But the Sub-Saharans absolutely adore. And, and, and they don't just adore Americans. I mean, they just adore any foreigners and they just so they're happy to see anybody. So how did Barack Obama come up? Did just the fact that you had an American accent? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> they associate the United States with Barack Obama. So and they're very proud of him. So she said be disappointed now. <laughs> <with that>. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. When can we expect to see the doco? When can we expect to be able to read the book? Is it all the big Sometime thumbs up? In the, the middle of next of 2020, I hope uh, that the book will come out and the documentary will come out. And then so then after that, after the book comes out, I do a little promo and then I want to go to Western and Central Asia. And then after that, East Asia. So that would be India and all of East Asia. And so my life will get easier and easier as far as travel is concerned, because then the final I'll be leaving is Oceania where you're just jumping from, you know, wonderful tropical island to the next tropical island. Will you come and visit us here in Sydney at World Nomads headquarters when you do that? Yes, of course. I would absolutely love love to. Yes, yes. We would love that, Francis. I am certain that you would have many stories to tell. And if you've beaten Francis by not showering for more than 45 (laughs) days while travelling, let us know by emailing podcast at worldnomads.com. A good way to contact us too for suggestions on people to interview, just like Ellen did. Now, Phil, put your insurance cap on as we touch on a few things that Francis said. Okay. Why is it hard to get kidnapping insurance? Well, it's not if you ask the right people. It's not hard to get. It's not impossible to get. There's quite a number of kidnap and ransom providers out there. That's the type of insurance that you're looking for. But it's really expensive, all right, because it's impossible to assess the size of the financial risk to the insurer. Are the kidnappers going to ask for a million bucks or a hundred million bucks? Uh, Also knowing there's actually insurance for kidnapping may actually encourage people to kidnap. So that's another reason. And travel insurance is that travel insurance for things related to travel. And given the above financial risk, how does a travel insurance company decide how much extra premium to add to all the other policies it sells to cover a a potential ransom of one or two people? And is it fair to ask someone going to Paris to pay a couple of dollars extra for the coverage of someone who's going to a dangerous place. Yep. Frankly, if you're going to a place where there's a chance you're going to be kidnapped, you might be going to the wrong place. (laughs) All right. Something else. Is it okay to use more than one passport when you travel, i.e. Chilean into Iran, US into Israel on the same trip? Yep. I've got two passports. Um, Mine are Australian and British. They're both part of the British Commonwealth, so that might be a reason why I'm allowed to keep both. I know there are some countries which say if you take out citizenship in another country, then you have to renounce one or the other of them. Yes. So as long as you're travelling lawfully and you're not in, you know, you're not flouting those regulations, um, it's probably perfectly okay. Okay, finally, what countries are not covered by World Nomads Insurance? Uh, Anything anything where there is advice from your government or other governments to do not travel there. Okay. There are about 13 whole countries which are on that do not travel list. They're mostly in Central and Western Africa. And there are certain places within countries as well where there are do not travel warnings as well. So not the entire country, but parts of it. And if, and if you travel into those, then, yeah, we can't cover you for anything that may happen if you travel against the advice of your government, which is why it's always a good idea to check your government's travel advice before you go anywhere and make sure you're not uh, going into the wrong spot. And the other thing, of course, is it is imperative that you listen to this. 
The information we provide about travel insurance is a brief summary only. It does not take into account your personal needs and does not include all terms, conditions, limitations, exclusions and termination provisions of the travel insurance plans described. Coverage may not be available for residents of all countries, states or provinces. Please carefully read the policy wording available at wallnomads.com for a full description of coverage. Love it. Thanks for listening. We're off to prepare our next episode. We'll see you then. Bye. Amazing nomads. Be inspired.